listen, this isn't a video about, uh, or a podcast about bariatric surgery. I, I listen, it's a tool. It's in my opinion, it's the last resort, but I, whatever, whatever it's going to take for you to get healthy. I think you've got to take that step. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really the shift is not, this isn't about a diet and this isn't about uh, surgery. It, it has everything to do with our mindset. And, and what I'd really like to talk about is the fact that, you know, I alluded to it. I traded one addiction for another. And I think that, that, that mental health issue and the men, mental mindset that we have, the way we see the world will determine the way we look in the world. We are Gold Ivy. Our mission is to empower you to own and unleash your truth. Stories of resiliency are gold and ivy grows in hard places. Those hard places are what creates space for light to shine through. You decide what works for your daily life and how to transform our lessons into your gold. This is Ivy Unleashed, a Gold Ivy production. It's here. Our Move with Gold Ivy virtual workout platform is ready for you. It's beautiful, it's easy to navigate, and it's absolutely packed with all kinds of workouts that will help you strengthen, trim, pump up, tone, energize, de-stress, all the things we want our body to feel. It's within MOVE. Our dream has been to create accessible, affordable, and efficient workouts that you can do anytime and anywhere. But not only that, we have a weekly plan that you can follow so you don't have to think about it. Everyone has been asking for a way to plan out their week and maximize their results, and we have the answer. Move with Gold Ivy. You can pick any workout you want at any time, but if you do want a plan that alternates muscle groups and leaves your body feeling energized and strong, we have the resources for you. Speaking of resources, Move will also have a ton of them. We'll be adding all kinds of resources, exclusive for Move members, for your mental and physical health. We want you to get the most value out of our workout platform, and we will continually add kick-ass workouts, gut health information, physical challenges, and mental health resources that will leave you feeling ready to tackle life with energy and vitality like never before. On top of the resources and virtual workouts, we will also be hosting live workouts. So you're probably wondering about cost, and we're excited to share that for a limited time, only this month in January, 2023, Move is free for a week and then only $10 a month. And you can lock in this $10 a month founder rate right now to hold forever. We know the value of our workouts and resources are worth more, but wanted to honor and celebrate our biggest supporters in these first few months of launching Move. So head on over to goldivyhealthco.com move or find the link within the show notes of this episode and sign up today. This free week and monthly price, cheaper than any monthly membership you'll find, is going to end soon. So snag your spot and reap the benefits that you deserve to feel this year. It's your time. Move for your health, move for your confidence, move for your mental clarity, move with Gold Ivy. Welcome back to Ivy Unleashed. Today is such an important day for you, for us, for the world to have access to Pastor Joe. Welcome to Ivy Unleashed. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. I'm I'm really excited to get to connect and uh, talk to your audience uh, today and maybe share a story that might touch people or connect Uh. with someone. And if you are not Christian by 
any means, please do not turn this off because Pastor Joe is someone that everybody needs access to. He is a light in the world. He is the type of person that you feel like you've known a million years. Uh, he joined our church a few years ago, and Justin had been going there for over five years by that point. And it was like this huge shift in our church where it became this like energetic place, full of joy, full of like noise. All of a sudden we were making lots of noise and he's like, how are we doing? And if like nobody, if it's crickets, he's like, excuse me, anybody, anybody in the house? And so the humor that you've brought, the joy that you've brought, the kids programs are better. The faculty's better. Everybody's just more on fire about God, about life. And so I just want to tell you that to start, like, thank you for what you've brought to our church. It has changed our world. Wow. Well, thank you. That's, yeah. that's encouraging because um, we want to make a difference and we want to be real and we want to laugh and have a good time. And a real key part for us is that we have a vision that we want to help everyone experience grace. And that means that, that that's not just the people inside the walls, that's actually out in our community. And so if we're not loving and leading our cities in a powerful way, if, if, if we were to close the doors and nobody outside the church cared, we're missing the mark. And so that's that's a driving force. I'm glad to hear that. The staff will be happy to hear that, uh, that things are going well, that what we're trying to accomplish is actually happening. And, and you, you're a big part of that. You and your family are a big part of that. And so I just, it's a huge honor to get to be on your podcast and talk to people that I normally wouldn't talk to. Uh, but, but again, please don't turn off if you're not Christian, because guess what? I wasn't always Christian either. And, um, and so, um, we're going to get real and raw and we're going to talk about real stuff. And this is going to be confessions of a pastor and this may be different than what you're it. used to. So, so I'm excited. Where do you want to go with this? Yeah. Well, the reason you're here though, is because you gave a sermon a couple months ago and I, I messaged Brooke. I'm like, I did something weird today. <laughs> Cause like when you want to talk to your pastor, when you're a part of a big church, it's kind of awkward because you gave this sermon and the sermon was like, what's, what's God calling you? What's on your heart? And that's something Brooke and I say a lot is like, if something is calling you, call it what you want, call it God, call the universe, call, call it your thing. But like, you know, we believe that God's, God's putting on your heart for a reason. And your sermon was saying like, don't back down. Don't be afraid today. Like have the courage and do the thing. And in my mind, the thing was, talk to Pastor Joe. And I was like, it was just called. And then what's awkward about it is when you're done with church and there's a lot of people that go there, a lot of people also want to talk to Pastor Joe. And you stand there and you don't want to be like weird on your phone. So then, but then you don't know what to do with your hands and you're just waiting, but then you don't know where to look while you're waiting. It's so awkward. So finally someone's like, are you trying to talk to Pastor Joe? And I was like, yeah. And so then we talked about the podcast and because you've had a health journey mm -hmm. that we want to get into... But let's start back to before you became a pastor, because you weren't always wanting to be a pastor. You were on track to be a pharmacist. Right. So take us back to what shifted. Well, you know, I tell people that I was the biggest uh, drug dealer in the state of Louisiana. Uh, that That's my background. And, um, and that's fun to say in church, because you see people go, oh my gosh, what have we come to? And then other people look at each other and they're like, oh, it's going to be church today, right? <laughs> Um, and then they find out that I, I actually went to pharmacy school. So um, I went to pharmacy school because my dad lost his job when I was 13. 
And my dad wanted to be a pharmacist because he thought great job security, but he didn't have the grades to get in the program. So he, he compelled my sister and I both to go to pharmacy school, which is hilarious because neither one of us finished pharmacy <laughs> school. Um, we both went all the way to the very last semester. My sister uh, got into medical school and she's a doctor today. And I became a pastor and my parents were shocked when I walked away um, from pharmacy. They were like, son, you don't take the drugs. Okay. Like, like God couldn't let you finish, you know, before this was done. But, but what happened was I had a radical encounter that changed my life. Um, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you guys feel like this, but i I was in a place where I knew this wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. Wasn't bad. I mean, it was good. Economically would have been a fantastic career. Provide for your family, um, work a clear job. You, when you're there, you're there. When you're not, you do other stuff. Yeah. And what happened was um, I got tricked to go on a mission trip. <laughs> By the way, that happens sometimes. And I wouldn't highly recommend that if you're <laughs> Christian, that you trick your friends. But <laughs> but my friend Brian Dietzel tricked me into going on a mission trip. And so he said, listen, um, over spring break, Mardi Gras in Louisiana, we throw down, just saying. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and he said, we're going to Mexico. And I was like, woo, Mexico. And I, I got my Dos Equis t-shirt on. <laughs> I was ready to go, man. Cervezas, baby. And the church van pulled up. And the dorms were closed. I mean, I had nowhere to go. So I had to get in this church van. And I was only mad for, I don't know, 100 miles. <laughs> and, and, and it was on that trip that I, I had this radical encounter. Because I was a kid that, that had a drug problem when I was growing up. I got drugged to church. I don't know if anybody feels like that. <laughs> um, but I graduated high school and church all at the same time. And so I, I was on this journey. I felt like... You know, I mean, I've met a lot of really cool people in college. Uh, they believe very different things. And I, I was sort of on a journey where I was wandering. And, and, and I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. And so on that trip, I had a professor who was a biology professor named Dennis Bell. And I didn't know he was a Christian because in a public university, he can't talk about that. Yeah. But on this trip, he asked me this question, Joe, who is Jesus to you? And I gave sort of a Sunday school answer. Well, Jesus did this, this, this. He's like, yeah, okay, Wikipedia. But, you know, like, who is he really to you? And and it was in that moment where I, I really had to wrestle. I didn't know. And over a course of a couple of days, I, I had this moment where I said, God, if you're real, you're going to have to reveal yourself to me. And I went outside, and I'm standing in Mexico um, looking up at the sky, and I just had this overwhelming sense that, that God was with me. And the next day... I broke my nose. So <laughs> this is going to be a little side story, but I promise we're getting to the life transformation stuff <laughs> you guys want to hang with. But um, we were building houses, and um, um, we were doing it by hand. So we're churning cemento with with shovels and water. And um, we had a maestro. That's the guy that sits up on the wall and pours down in the cinder blocks. And they didn't have a ladder, and I was the tallest person there. I'm six foot seven, depending on the convenience store I'm walking out of. <laughs> and so um, they said, Joe, will you hoist the buckets up? So I did that, I did that, I did that. I got tired, and I got to this place where there was a door opening, and I thought, well, I'll just use momentum. I stepped through the door, swing the bucket, and hit the corner of the house in front of me with my face. Oh. Completely knocked myself out. 
Um, like if you've ever been hit so hard that you don't know you're, you're, you're on the ground, you've been not out. Okay. <laughs> like Friday. Right. So, <laughs> so, so I'm laying there and Dennis Bell, my professor leans over, blocks out the sun and he goes, Oh man, I can see the bone. <laughs> I had broken my nose so badly. The skin was hanging off. Oh. And, and I said, do we have a medically trained person on this trip? And they said, well, to be really honest, that's why we invited you because you're in <laughs> pharmacy school. And I thought, great. <laughs> so they got me up and I got on the bus and I'm sitting there and they had this um, really makeshift um, medical kit, which was a shoebox with a piece of red tape and a cross. And I opened it up and it had a bottle of what I would call Mexican white lightning. Didn't have a worm in it, but it had, it, it was clearly drinking alcohol and, and you open it, you could, you could feel the fumes. They had gauze, duct tape, and some pencils. Oh my gosh. So I thought, I've seen MacGyver. I can do this. So I, I, I break the pencils down, wrap them in gauze, shove two up my nose after I reset my nose, put gauze on the outside, and duct tape the whole thing down. Do we have a picture of this? I wish. I <laughs> wish. I wish I had a picture of that. I mean, that's kind of pre-cell phone. Yeah, that's true. Yes, I'm that old. It was I, a couple of years ago, right? It, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> so uh, so, so to, to make things even worse, that was the day we went to the market. And um, we're walking around, and the police are following me. They're like, this big gringo is like trouble, right? And, and we're walking through the market, and, and this guy pops a switchblade in my face. I'm like, are you kidding me? I lost a fight with a house, and now I'm going <laughs> to die in the streets of Mexico. And he says, hey, man, I sell you a switchblade. You F up the man who mess up your nose. <laughs> and, and I just died laughing, which it hurt. And so, so we, we get through that, and that night, um, I, I had another radical encounter that I didn't expect. Um, I grew up in a church where there would be 300 people and we'd pray for 20, you know, pray for my aunt. She's got a bad hip and that kind of a thing. Yeah. And we went to a church with 25 people and they prayed for 300. They were praying for everybody down the street, praying for the guy that had the addiction, the alcohol addiction. His kids are on the street. They're struggling. And they asked if they could pray for me. And I said, sure. So I get back stateside because I would not go to a clinic or see a doctor there. Um, the, um, went to the doctor and he, he was looking at my face and he says, Ooh, somebody broke their nose. I said, yeah. And he begins to unwrap it. And, um, he stands back and he looks and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I can't explain this, but there is evidence all around your eyes that you broke your nose, but your nose is perfectly healed. And I don't have an explanation for that. And I didn't have an explanation for that. And what happened next was I went to a Bible study on the second floor of my dorm because I wanted to know about this God that <laughs> did stuff that I'd heard about in the Bible, but didn't think it really happened. And so I, I don't want you to think I'm like this holy roller and all that. But I, I mean, I just had an encounter. I can't explain it, but it happened. Mm -hmm. the, the more miraculous part of the story is not that my nose was healed. The more miraculous part was that I can't tell you if I was an alcoholic, but I can tell you that alcoholism runs in my family. And prior to that trip, I can't remember a day for, for at least two years that I didn't have a drink. And when I got back, it was two weeks before I realized I hadn't had a drink 
and and I just walked away from it. And I felt like I was delivered. The problem with that was that um, what I didn't know is that I, I was delivered from that, but I traded one addiction for another. And it wasn't long after that, about nine months after that trip, that I felt a call from God to leave pharmacy school and to pursue ministry. Um, and, and, you know, the thing was, I didn't realize I still had some deep struggles. And, and a lot of times people think, oh, if you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, everything's going to go fine. That's not true. God says that there's going to be hard things. I mean, when he says, come follow me, he doesn't say, and by the way, I'm not going through ditches. Um, so there, that, that's a very real misconception, I think. Now, I think, I think your life is significantly better, and I think there's a path to overcome things. But, but, but I found myself um, choosing to eat. And by the way, in the church world, there's very few people who will ever call you out on that. If I, if I drank as much as I ate, I would not have a job in ministry. But, but I didn't get called out on it, and I would work on it. You know, I mean, I think people knew I would walk, I would exercise, I would try to eat different things. I did every diet you can imagine and never had any progress in that. And, and I constantly felt like a failure. And, and I don't know about you guys, but if, if you're heavy, like if you're overweight or you're obese or you're morbidly obese like I was, um, there's this conception that people who struggle with addiction or people who struggle with their weight or some aspect of the life that's really out of balance. A lot of times people just think that they're lazy um, or not successful. And that's simply just not true. Um, I mean, I've experienced a lot of success with a lot of weight. Uh, I've been able to um, start a church uh, from scratch that started 10 churches. Um, it was one of the fastest growing, top 100 fastest growing churches in the country. Uh, at Grace, we've experienced right before the pandemic, we were the 23rd fastest growing church in the country. Um, I was a John Maxwell transformational leader, um, recognized in the nation. Um, I'm working on my doctorate. You know, I mean, all sorts of things, successes, yet just because you're not successful in every aspect of your life, doesn't mean that you're not successful. It just means that you're facing a challenge that it, you haven't found success in that area yet. And I think we all have that. So, so as you're thinking through today, maybe this isn't about weight for you, but maybe it's about a weight that you carry in another aspect of your life. Um, because I, I find in recovery that um, everybody struggles, but our drug of choice is different. And, and, and for me, I discovered that my drug of choice was food um, because, you know, like you said, food is medicine. Um, but do you know, like the thing I learned in pharmacy school is that the number one prescriber of medicine are not doctors. It's actually the people who self-prescribe and, and take over-the-counter medications, choose to drink the coffee that has caffeine that is a drug. Um, we choose the food that we eat. All of that affects our body chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the number one prescriber is actually us, which tells me that we're in the driver's seat, even if we don't recognize that we're in the driver's seat. And, and, and the good news is, no matter where you are, um, I think that you're just one or two decisions or one or two critical conversations away from experiencing a real significant life change. And so the, up to speed, I'm the lead pastor of Grace Fellowship in Brooklyn Park. Uh, Minnesota. And 
um, websites, findgrace.com. So if you ever want to connect, you can connect anywhere in the world um, to what we're doing. And we want to connect with you because what we want to do is help people experience grace. And I believe that part of experiencing grace is finding freedom from the addictions and the challenges and the things that are holding us back. And so that's a big part of my story. And so God moved me from being the biggest drug dealer to, um, in state of Louisiana to being one of the biggest pastors <laughs> in whatever city or state I was in, um, to now, as of today, I am a hundred point four pounds down since October. Wow. Um, and so at the time of this in less than, well, really in less than 90 days, uh, I've been able to experience an over hundred pound weight loss. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't have done this podcast on video, um, because, because I didn't feel confident just sitting because, because I was like, protruding and coming out and that super self-conscious and uh, of that but 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 that's a little bit of my story and where I'm at oh thank you for sharing there's so much we could unpack from that but I think just from the last thing you said with confidence it's so interesting because you know you are kind of the opposite of what you would expect like you are very confident it seems from the outside you deliver powerful messages and have had like you said the success that we all see and have experience with you as our pastor. And, you know, I, I wonder what that's like to be in front of people when you're struggling, when what you struggle with is so visible, right? Because what I struggle with isn't very visible, you know, and we all have struggles that you assume everybody's fine, but we're not, like you said, we are all struggling with something. So what's that like, um, one to be in front of people when you're insecure about your weight and then have this health journey and losing weight in front of everybody so visibly? Well, it, it, you know, in a lot of ways, I thank God that the struggle that I have, my primary struggle, and by the way, we all have struggles, is something that is visible. You know, it's funny. I lied to myself along the way, and I thought, oh, no, I'm having success. It doesn't really matter that I'm overweight. But what I didn't realize was that I was limiting who I could connect with, and I was creating a barrier in that. Now, what's really challenging is that, you know, I, I don't think it's any surprise. I mean, we've seen some pretty big moral failures that have happened in ministry. And 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 that's always so damaging to the capital C church because, because we see these people that are succeeding or in the public limelight and then they fall and then they think, oh man, that's a lot of pastors. And it's, it's not necessarily a lot, a lot of pastors because there's a lot of really high quality pastors that I know around the country that you you'd never hear of, but they're doing amazing things and impacting communities and changing lives. But, but when you look at the data, pastors struggle just like everyone else, you know, and I'm thankful that I wear my challenge because I have outward accountability. Um, I've, I've, I really, I really worry about the people who have the, the things they struggle with that nobody can see. Like what's going on in their mind? What are they looking at on their computers when nobody's around? What are the, the things that they say to their family when nobody's around? Um, and, and, and those are the ones where there's no check engine lights that other people see. And so what happens is it can go so far that you cross a threshold uh, where it's too much. Like, for instance, there's a pastor uh, named Wayne Cordero who's a pastor in Hawaii. Yeah, I know. That's a really tough gig. But, um, but, but it is, actually, because he's on an island and um, doing really big and great things. But he would describe your life like, like a cup, except the cup has a hole in the bottom, and it's always leaking. 
and we have something that needs to fill it up so that it stays full. And he says there's three stages of what happens because he had a burnout moment. He was preaching five or six times in a weekend. And, and what a lot of people don't know about preachers is that when you preach, your body uses adrenaline. Even if you're pretty passive in your speaking, you're using adrenaline in those moments. And the amount of adrenaline that you use in a 30-minute message is the equivalent of adrenaline that would burn in an eight-hour physical labor job. So he's going five, six times in a weekend wow. and burning up this adrenaline. What happens is when you burn adrenaline, um, your body depletes serotonin. And, um, and, and the problem is that doesn't replenish quickly. It's very slow. So he just hit a burnout moment. And what he said was that when you look at the cup, that when the cup's totally full, you're in the dream zone. And that's when mountaintop experience, you're thinking great ideas, like next level kind of stuff, the stuff you guys talk about all the time in your podcast. But then when it goes down, you get in the drain zone. And the drain zone is where you go, oh, like people say, hey, how you doing? Fine. Total lie. <laughs> you know, but. What is fine? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and uh, expending energy at all costs. I, I mean, of course. Right? Of course you have an acronym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what happens in the drain zone is that you start saying things like, well, I'll sleep when I die. Mm -hmm. I, I said that for years. Um, like tomorrow will be better. Um, all I need is a little break. I'm not sure when that is, but I, that's all I really need. And and you start to cut corners and and not take care of yourself. And um, by the way, self-care is critical. I, I Like a lot of pastors and a lot of moms and a lot of dads and a lot, there's a lot of people, even owners of businesses, a lot of people don't realize this. They're so incredibly selfless that they focus on everybody else before themselves, but they are killing themselves and it is killing the health and benefit that everyone else has. So here's the point. When, when you focus on self-care and improve yourself, everybody you touch, meet, or influence is immediately the beneficiary of, of the new and improved you. That's so powerful coming from a pastor because mm -hmm. you think in a church that you, you just preach be selfless, be selfless, you know, and it's selfish yeah. to not take care of you. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. If you're on an airplane and, and the, everything drops, they say, listen, even to a mom that's got a little kid, put it on your face first and then put it on your kid. Right. And that seems so backwards. But, but if you, if you take everybody else around you and you go down, then they're going to mourn that loss. And it didn't have to happen. So, so he says, listen, in that, in that drain zone, that's where we start to cut the corners. But if you get in that bottom 20%, that's the danger zone. And, and I will tell you that I think that if you read the media or the news or whatever it is that we, we focus on, and we see these burnout moments, these moral failures, people flame out, I will bet you dollars to donuts that, that they were in the danger zone. They were just at the bottom. And there wasn't enough going in to fill them up, but they had this slow leak and they were just going down and nobody saw it. And so when you have something that's not public, when, when maybe you have an addiction to porn or you have an addiction to uh, something that can be held secretly, people don't realize, because when you look at the outside of the cup, you can't tell where somebody is. But when you look inside and you get a visual confirmation on it, you know, hey, it's going down. Mm -hmm. and and something's wrong and so it's really critical that we fill the cup 
And um, I believe that a lot of times the outward signs, the check engine lights that are going on in our life are there. We just don't have people that are aware enough about it or they lack the courage to say something about it because they don't want to offend you. And, and I can tell you that I had two critical moments that were my wake up call that changed everything. We are going to need to hear about both of those. Yeah. Cause you mentioned it's an outward battle, right? You are carrying this for people to see, but it's also affecting you mentally. So how did this affect your mental health? Well, the, the big challenge that I had, um, was, um, I became diabetic and, and I remember the day that the doctor told me I was diabetic. I, I like when people tell you you're pre-diabetic, you're like, oh, I'm still good, you know, but, but I heard I was diabetic and, and you might as well, he might as well have told me that I had cancer. I, I, I knew based on my medical training that this was not good. And he said, listen, if you lose weight, you know, you, you can, you can reverse this. And I immediately went after everything. I started to um, try every kind of diet that I could think of. I was really, really heavy at the time. Um, I was, man, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. I was 587 pounds. Wow. And, and that was the time when I got on the scale and I went, I, I could be on that 600 pound life show. I wonder though what it's like, okay. Once you get over 300 pounds, my assuming brain would think, of course I have diabetes. Like the fact that you were shocked, like shocks me. You know what I mean? Well, but it's not that shocking because, because here's, here's the number one indicator that you struggle with an addiction. Okay. And, and I'm not talking just weight. I'm talking anything. Mm-hmm. When you avoid reality. Mm. See, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I have a very public life and people, I mean, I have, I have 15 years of me being on the internet, preaching videos that, that people have seen around the world. And, um, yet I probably, um, prior to the past couple of years only watched about a dozen of those videos mm. because I didn't want to, I didn't want to look in the mirror. Mm. I, I avoided mirrors. I avoided, um, pictures. Um, I used my family as blocking dummies uh, to stand in front of me so that... Uh, of like, course, you're six seven. Of course, yeah, I have to be I'm, in the back. I'm the back row guy. Like, I don't have <laughs> to actually lose weight. I just have to, like, stretch my neck out and, you know, position correctly to, to kind of look better than I did. Um, I, um, I never wanted a picture of me sitting down. I only had myself standing up. A lot of my shirts fit when I stood. Um, like, this shirt... This shirt hung in my closet as a one-day shirt. Oh, yay. And You're wearing it today. Yeah, I'm wearing it. And, and, and there was a time where I would buy clothes and I'd say, yep, I'm going to wear that one day. And and I'm not kidding. I mean, they were covered in dust. My my wife, when I started to lose weight, she started to pull them out of the closet and put them in another closet. And then she started to introduce them back into the closet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, let me try that on. And I'm like, whoa, this is. And you're swimming in that shirt. Oh, uh, yeah yeah that's that's good but but um but but i was shocked about the diabetes because i wasn't willing to to get on the scale i wasn't willing to go get the checkup i mean you have to imagine how bad i had to feel that the the pain of facing reality was was less than the pain i was feeling in the moment i i would get mad 
um, for no reason. I mean, some of the hallmarks of being diabetic are that your blood sugar elevates and you can get pop off and get mad without really being mad. You're just physiologically having a, a reaction. And, um, and, and I was very, very scared that I was going to give this speech that I was going to live to regret to people in our church or people on the staff. And so I just thought, man, I'm really tired and I'm not sleeping well. Let me go get checked out. And so I had this wake up call. And so I started to get better, but, but I just couldn't cross the threshold. And what was so startling was that, um, that I, I've been battling this for years and years and they would slowly increase the, the metformin and the things I would take. And there's a point where you start insulin and they say, once you start insulin, you, you really, the chance of you losing weight is very, very low. It's very hard when you, you, when you go to insulin and insulin is wildly expensive. Shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but it is. And so now, um, you know, I was facing this thing where I'm robbing my family economically, mm-hmm. um, by being sick. And I had a, a good friend, a mentor of mine who said, Joe, you've tried everything I can think of. If this diet you're on right now doesn't work in a year, will you agree to go see a doctor, a surgeon, a bariatric metabolic specialist and figure out what's going on? And to be really honest, I didn't want to say yes, but I thought a year was reasonable. And I said yes. And for me, when I say yes, my yes is yes and my no is no. And I made that commitment. And I think I made that commitment not fully understanding how much I was going to be afraid of that. But a year goes by. I, at this point, I was seeking out medical help internationally, uh, people that did intermittent fasting. And by the way, that works for a lot of people. Um, but for me, I was in this small percentage where it wouldn't work. It just wasn't. My metabolism was all over the place. And um, my diabetes got worse. It spiked. It got out of control. And um, um I had a crisis where my blood sugar went off the charts and I had to start over on some medicine. It was just a, it was a mess. And I wasn't spending time with my family. I was, I was just trying to cope. And, um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I didn't find myself managing my time. I found myself managing my energy and I just didn't have much of it. And you have to be on when you're in front of people. And so it, it was, it was taking more time to rest and recover just so I could do these small, you know, like speaking engagements and, and, and preaching and being around people that I love, but I was struggling. And so, uh, I went to the, the specialist, they ran an incredible battery of tests and they found out that I'm in this percentage of people who had a metabolism that just wouldn't recover. And, and what had happened is when your BMI and your BMI is body mass index, um, gets over 50 and mine was well over 50. Um, if you stay over that for too long, then what happens is your, your, your body says, this is the new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, something a lot of people don't know is that when you gain weight, you can multiply fat cells, but when you lose weight, you don't lose them. They just shrink mm-hmm. and they're screaming out, um, you know, feed me. And the doctor said, based on where you are, you're in this category where if you lost everything, there's a 96% chance you'd gain it all back. But if you can do this surgery, then what happens is there's a, there's an 88% chance that you'll lose it and never gain it back. And I said, wow. I said, any other reasons to do this? He said, yes. 
uh, statistically it's been shown that if you do this surgery, uh, you're going to live nine and a half years longer than you would otherwise. Now, what got me to that meeting was a critical moment in 2020. I'm sure everybody's sitting there going, yeah, the pandemic, that was awesome. Uh, that was the worst time for a lot of people. I mean, like I'm an extrovert. That was an introvert's pandemic for sure. All right. And um, during I'm with that, you on that one. <laughs> and during that time, things were changing. In the uh, insurance industry, they were loosening up because they were trying to sell insurance policies because people are at home and they're freaking out and they're thinking about this stuff and they're like, this is a great opportunity. They loosened up the restrictions on insurance. I thought, this is a great time. I feel like I'm going to die. I probably ought to get more insurance to protect my family if I'm not here. And um, when I did that, I called them and I found out that I was not a good bet. Like, listen, when they tell you we don't want your money, even at the highest premium, you're not insurable, you're off the rails. And and that was a crisis moment for me because the last thing I want to do is leave my family in a bad spot. And I didn't have enough insurance to really put my family in a position to protect my kids, to send them to college, to pay off the house, to do, I mean, everything, put my wife in a position where where if I wasn't there that we were providing. And, and that really bothered me. Um, to make things even worse, on my birthday, when you're when I was considering doing the surgery, uh, I I actually got on one of those websites, and I don't want to pick one over the other, but I'll just tell you, it's the one where you go and you type in your weight and your age and your medical conditions, and and it and it gives a prediction on how long you're going to live, and the outcome was very sobering. A third reason why I did it was because we um, foster and adopt kids, and all of the kids in my family are adopted. And we we realized we were going to adopt uh, a little girl who's five and, and a little boy who's nine, their brother and sister. And uh, I call her baby girl. I, I can't say her name publicly because they're not fully adopted yet, but, um, but they will be. And um, the thought of not being able to walk down the aisle with baby girl someday when she gets married <sighs> – was was so compelling to me and and i think that if you're a selfless person the motivation you need to make the change often is not that you want to look good in jeans or you're vain or you know whatever it it often if you're selfless it has to be that you're not living for you you're living for someone else and and that was it i i wanted to live for my family I wanted to walk my little girl down the aisle. I wanted to get insurance to protect my family in the event that I was to go away early. And, um, and, and that was it. That was my why. Now, I think everybody needs a why. And here's the thing. Until you can say to yes to something bigger, you'll never say no to your current s- situation. Say that, say that again. Until you say yes to something bigger, you will not say no to your current situation. Because we all have habits that we do. If you don't believe me, drive to work tomorrow in a different direction. And if you'll do that for a week, there's going to be a point in that week where you're unconsciously going to go back to doing what you were doing. Like, I unconsciously, my my pathway to work always involved a stop at McDonald's. I mean, really. Like, that that was a thing. And, and it wasn't even the shortest distance. It just was the path that I always took. And, and, and I started to realize my life was centered around food. 
And um, probably the most important thing in this is, listen, this isn't a video about uh, or a podcast about bariatric surgery. I, I Listen, it's a tool. It's, in my opinion, it's the last resort. But I, whatever, whatever it's going to take for you to get healthy, I think you've got to take that step. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really the shift is not, this isn't about a diet and this isn't about uh, surgery. It, it has everything to do with our mindset. And, and what I'd really like to talk about is the fact that, you know, I alluded to it. I traded one addiction for another. And I think that, that, that mental health issue and the men, mental mindset that we have the way we see the world will determine the way we look in the world and how we interact with it. And so that's something I think is really powerful that we probably need to talk about. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as you know, a man of faith and you're supporting and pouring so much love into those around you, you need, you need the energy to do it and you clearly don't have it. So how did you know, the work you're doing reflect what was being said in your own head? Well, I think, I think everybody struggles with blind spots. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that I was doing as bad as I was. You know, it's kind of like the frog in the, the, the hot water illustration. You know, if you have boiling water and you throw a, a frog in it, boom, it's going to jump out. But if you put them in room temperature water and you slowly bring up the boil, you'll cook them. And, and they don't even realize it. And I, I realized that one time at a movie theater when you go into a movie, they slowly bring the lights down before they start the movie. And I was in this theater and, um, a tornado siren went off and the floodlights and the, the lights come on in the room. And it was like, Whoa, this is so overwhelming. And, and, and I think that we all need this warning moment where the lights come on and you realize it's darker than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. So, so every day, this is an interesting fact. If you just add 10 calories above what you need to maintain your weight, in a year you'll gain a pound. Mm-hmm. 10 calories. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. That's two sticks of gum. <laughs> You're like, I'm chewing this stuff up and I'm going to gain weight. It, it doesn't take much, mm-hmm. right? And, and, but, but hey, the reverse is also true. Cutting 10 calories a day. I mean, you could do that. We could all do that will drop a, a calorie. That's why they say whenever you drink a Coke a day, you'll gain 10 pounds in a year. It's because of the number of calories. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so the thing was, I was slowly getting worse. And interestingly, the responsibilities were increasing. And so there was this disproportionate divide mm-hmm. between what I felt like I was supposed to do and what I was able to do. And the longer you go in something, the longer you serve, I think people give you a pass. And I think that there's a lot of us that have um, people who just don't say anything or give us a pass or they love us, but they, they love us so much. They don't want to lose the relationship, but they don't love us enough to risk saying the thing that might cause you to have um, conflict. And um, I didn't realize how bad things were. And, and now that I've lost 100 pounds, here's the biggest shift in my mind. Before, as I was gaining all this weight, and, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not like 100 pounds from 587. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually lost the 87 pounds before I got to Minnesota. Um, but then now I've lost another 100 pounds. So 187 pounds down from my highest height um, is where I'm at today. I used to think about and obsess around what I couldn't do. Um, I had a free trip to go skiing 
And I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I didn't ski because I thought, Ooh, my insurance isn't good enough. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really, I mean, I, I thought about everything from a risk assessment. I would think about going on hikes with my family and I would stop and turn back. I'm going to go warm up the car, you know, stuff like that. And the reality was that I thought if I go up here and I can't get out, I don't want to be life flighted. And I thought obsessively about what I couldn't do. And after, after losing 50 pounds, my mind shifted and now I'm starting to think about what I can do. And, and one of the things I want to do, it's not my why, but it is a, it is a goal. I have always, always wanted to swim the escape of Alcatraz, um, Ooh. in San Francisco. And I'm a pretty good swimmer. Uh, before I was a better swimmer cause I could float a lot, but, but, but now, now, I mean, I, I I'm a pretty good swimmer. The reason I never did it was not my weight. Well, kind of. The reason I never did it is because the water in the bay is so cold that you have to wear a wetsuit. And I couldn't find a wetsuit that I could fit in. And so the wetsuit that I, I can get in that's tall enough and big enough is the biggest one in the industry. I'm probably a year and three months away from getting into. It's exciting. And, and so not this summer, but next summer, I'm going to go to San Francisco and I'm going to swim the escape from Alcatraz. And, and, you know, I may look like a pressed ham <laughs> doing it. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm hoping that instead of bringing sexy back, I'm going to leave sexy back like way back and that I'm in the water. Nobody sees it. But, but for me, I, I want to swim that escape from Alcatraz because it's something I've always wanted to do. And it's a goal that's going to drive me to remember why I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm going to walk baby girl down the aisle. I'm going to be there for my family. I'm going to get better insurance, but I'm going to do some things I want to do too. And, and that's what I'm going to do. And I can do it with my boys. My boys are competitive swimmers. They can do it tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> but I can't. And so that's something we're going to do together. But to back up for a second, I want to talk about the addiction because I never saw myself as a person who was an addict. Um, I was in recovery ministry. I helped start one in Corpus Christi, but I, I, I was missing the point because there's 12 steps and I always wanted to do step 12, which is where you start to benefit and help other people. But I wanted to skip the first 11 and I, I thought I was above that or I didn't realize that was me. And, and so I had this moment that was pretty unexpected. We teach people how to make disciples and we wanted to get outside the walls of the church. And there was this thing called micro church movement where you're equipping people to, to help people that don't go to church uh, encounter God. And uh, it's a process of doing kind of Bible study and open up the Bible in, in a real way with people. And, um, and, and so the way the training goes is that you, you, would, you would pray, you'd learn how to do it, and then you'd pray, God, what do you want me to do this week? And the answer that most people would give is something around the lines of, um, well, I'm going to go talk to this guy and have coffee with him right? Because you have to engage people. And I'm in this room with these group of pastors from around the nation. And um, I prayed, God, what do we do? And I felt like God said to me, quit treating food like the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, I had a real conflict. Because hmm. I thought, well, that's going to sound really dumb. <laughs> we didn't talk about food at all. And these guys are going to think I'm crazy. And by the way, pastors are also some of the most insecure people you'll ever meet because we have these public lives and we, we, we're always in the, the spotlight, and, and, but we feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it, the faith we take is to feel the fear and do it anyway. That's, that's our faith. 
Um, but for me in that moment, I just felt like I needed to say it. And so the leader of this group, this national leader, I said, um, God told me to quit treating food like the Holy Spirit. And he looked at me and he said, well, then you probably ought to do that. Mm-hmm. And then he moved on. <laughs> so fast forward, now I'm teaching people in our church. And um, I said, listen, I don't want you to give me the Sunday school answer or say what you think we ought to say. You need to say what God really puts on your heart. And I said, for instance, I should have said, you know, would have said, oh, well, I need to talk to this person and this person about Jesus. And and I said that God told me to quit treating food like the Holy Spirit. So everybody prayed. And then everybody said, well, I think I need to talk to so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fast forward a week later, there's this guy, Jim, who leads our recovery ministry. And he says, I need to talk to you. And I knew he was really busy, and I thought he was going to bail and not do this training. And he said, last week when you said what you said, the Holy Spirit told me to make an invitation to you. And so what Jim did was he pulled out this Overeater Anonymous book, and he said, I love you. I don't want to see you die. I think that there's a heart struggle. And um, you can say no, and we'll still be friends, but I want you to consider this. And I said yes immediately. I had been waiting for somebody to recognize that I was dying and didn't feel like I could ask for help. And I, I hugged him. And this is so funny. I was so big that that my belt would hold on to you know the weight around my waist and when i hugged him i stretched out and literally my pants fell down and it was the most <laughs> awkward <laughs> guy hugging a guy interaction i've ever had in my life oh. i mean it was just and we just laughed you know because just like, in the nick of time just, i mean just <laughs> caught it i mean it was just <laughs> terrible um but what happened was he he met with me privately and we walked through those 12 steps now, step one, I thought, I got it in the bag. Clearly, I've got a problem. I get on the weight, the scale. I see myself now. I know I've got a problem. And knowing you have a problem is not the same as accomplishing step one. Step one is that I am powerless to change and need the help of a higher power. And I believe the higher power is is God. I believe that. And so um, I just thought I was a guy that had a problem with food. I don't know about you guys, but you probably, whatever you're struggling with, you think, ah, you know, I like to drink or I like to watch Netflix all the time or I like to whatever. Um, it's not a problem. I could quit tomorrow. Well, give that a whirl and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, really, we, 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 we like to talk a big game to ourselves because it makes us feel better. But until we actually do it, you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And so I had a couple of people that would pray for me because I knew I had a struggle. I have a person to this day who still calls me at 4.30 because that's a time that I'm driving, heading home. And my biggest downfall was the food I would eat on the way home before it was time for dinner. And I didn't even think about it. Like, publicly, I, I, I didn't eat very much in front of other people. But privately, I was eating a lot. And, um, and so I had that in place. I had another person that, when I was struggling, they'd say, call me, I'll pray for you. Great. You know, you would think, oh, that'll, that'll do it. So, so I had this day that was just off the rails and, um, I called the person that prays for me. I said, man, I'm having a tough day. Pray for me. Yeah. They texted back praying for you. I thought, okay, driving home four 30, uh, cause I start my days really early and, um, uh, they texted me doing good, doing good. Four thirty seven. I was in the parking lot at Taco Bell 
and I went through and I ordered about $15 of food. Now today that's not a lot of money in this economy, but, but at the time that was a lot of food and I was eating it and this moment hit me and I just began to cry and I realized I'm an addict. I am totally powerless to overcome this food addiction. And it was just ringing my ears. I'm treating food like the Holy Spirit. And I thought, I'm going to meet with Jim. And I already blew the 12 steps and we're just getting started. (laughs) So the very next day we meet and I sit down and I said, I got a confession. I, man, I think I messed this whole thing up. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I went to Taco Bell and I ate a bunch of food and he said, well, number one, I'm so glad that you told me that. And I said, I'm an addict. And he said, great. That's why we're here. Mm -hmm. He said, until you could admit that, none of this was going to work. And and then he said, what did you eat? And then I had to start to recount it. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. And he said, I don't really care what you ate. I just need you to say it because it becomes real. Mm -hmm. Like you need to know, like this is the extent of what's going on in your life. And so I, I shared that, I confessed it, and it was crazy. It was like the lights came on. And and every step after that began, not easier, but but it felt like I was building on something. And and I was gaining some traction, and food didn't have the hold on me, and I began to lose weight. And this is during the whole time that I was about to explore the bariatric surgery. And I kept thinking, oh, am I cheating the system? Am I, like, am I not given this time? But then I found out that I had this real medical condition that was stopping me. Um, but what I've discovered is that I've met so many people that have had the surgery now that have gained the weight back. And they talk about how food still has a hold on them, you know, because you can completely eat through the surgery if you just eat a little bit all day long. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's when it dawned on me that it's what's going on here and here way more than what's going on here and here. Head heart over just for people that aren't watching you. Yeah. Yeah. The gut. Uh, yeah. It's, it's our head and our heart that, that really initiate the start and the change more than what's going in our mouth and through our stomach. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really that, that level. And so um, for me, I went on a 12 step and I completed that. And one of the most significant things is now I'm starting to work with other people that, that need to take the 12 steps. And, um, and my, my greatest desire is to work with pastors because so few pastors actually take 12 steps because we live public lives and we don't want people to know. And, and I would do it on zoom or anything with anybody, uh, that wanted to take the journey because, because I know that somebody did that for me and it changed me. But as I've talked to other people I've helped, here's a, a phenomenon that's stood out to me. You do Weight Watchers, you do any kind of program that has some guidance to it. Um, I say name one person who hasn't gone on to be a facilitator or leader in that that method that has lost the weight and maintained it. Mm-hmm. And, and people stop and they think, they're like, well, I've quit and joined Weight Watchers or whatever the program is five or six times. And you know, now I think about it, the only people I consistently see are the ones that are teaching and leading it. And see, that's the key. You have to, you have to follow somebody who's been where you are, but is ahead of you. This mutual, like, Hey, we're both overweight or we're both struggling with this thing. Or, Hey, we both need to like stop drinking or we both need to start our news resolution, which we're going to quit February 1st. 
when we when neither of us have experienced the success of overcoming it, it's easy for us to bail on each other. Not because we don't care, but because we're trying and we're not training. And there's a difference. The way you train is you get a coach or a mentor or a leader that's done what you're trying to do that knows the path because you can leave out one ingredient in a cake and, it, and, and it's as hard as a brick. And the same thing is true in your weight loss journey or your coaching journey or like whatever, whatever you're trying to do, if you miss a key ingredient, then you're, you're going to bomb. And, and we need people that have gone ahead of us. That's why I think Jesus says, follow me. He knows the way. And then pastors and leaders and any Christian, our goal is to follow Jesus and then encourage others to follow us. Not that we're perfect, but we're on the path. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was really a critical moment where, where I began to wake up and realize that I needed a change here in my head and my heart if I was going to have a change in my body. And now I'm experiencing this change in my body, and it's making it easier for me to live out the dream zone level of my life in my head and my heart. And I've shifted from thinking about what I can't do to now start believing there's a lot that I can do. And so that's, that's been a big part of my journey. Mm -hmm. Thank you for tuning in today. Come back Thursday, February 2nd for part two, where pastor Joe talks about the importance of courageous relationships how addressing our secrets can prevent illness, and how getting to the truth of our beliefs and identity can help us become who we were meant to be. You don't want to miss this one.